If you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're back to the Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're getting towards the end of it, but uh, wow. I want to encourage you today with the words of Jesus from this amazing sermon that he gave, but it can seem not very encouraging. That's because Jesus goes up on the Mount and he is in the place of Moses and giving the law and boy, you say law and I think, uh-oh. He's, he's even more than Moses ever was. And he gives this interpretation of the law that is higher, crushing. I've used a variety of different illustrations. Today I'm using the car thing. You know, when the car is going to get uh, crushed into a little compact little square of metal and it goes into the car compactor and it crushes. That's Jesus' presentation of the law to us. Or, or even, I don't know, I was watching uh, Star Wars with my kids this week. Episode 4. I don't know why they call it episode 4. It's episode 1, right? But they're, they're stuck. The main characters are stuck in this garbage compactor. They can't get out and it's coming together and they're screaming. And finally, their like, robot uh, stops it. So it. But you know in the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't get stopped. It's like it actually crushes us. We get crushed by Jesus' presentation of what God requires in order to be who you need to be. You can't get angry. You can't ever lust. You can't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You've got to love your enemies. And it just gets higher and higher. And we went through all these, these things, this sermon on the law. It's, it's not a ladder to get God's blessings and love or a way to please him so he gives you heaven. Instead, as Jesus says in the very first line of the sermon, hey, how blessed are you when you're spiritually bankrupt? Because God gives spiritually bankrupt people heaven. Amazing. But if that's who we are, you start to see this, this sermon that he gives, this teaching that he gives, and we say, that, that's me, I've got nothing. If we'll only trust him in his words, our problem is we don't really accept that. I don't even really like it. I want to find something in me. So I'm constantly going back, and Jesus knows that. He's even presented it as we've gone through, right? We take such care to look good in other people's eyes. Salvation by reputation. And, and, and so our lives don't really match, because I'm always kind of putting out there how great I am. Jesus takes that down. Associated with that, we're talking about this morning. One of the main ways you and I feel good about ourselves is by comparing ourselves to other people. That's just the way we, we, we get our value, our, our, our feeling of worth. And often we're using a standard that we think is God's. Hey, I'll, I'll take the standard from the Bible and see if I'm doing better in that standard than you are. And Jesus goes after this with a hammer today. He, he doesn't leave us there. But he definitely shows us our need. So I, I want to start there with us, and we're in chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 7 in, in Matthew, and the Sermon on the Mount. Here we go. Starts out with us looking, really, looking for good. Man, in myself, I hope. And Jesus says this, judge not that you be not judged. Well, that's a simple statement, and it's used all the time, in and out of Christianity. Don't judge me. Haven't you heard that? But, but this is God talking to you. It's not the person being judged that's complaining to you. It is God speaking to you and me. 
And we hear this amazing statement. Talk about a, a verse that's been taken out of context and mean different things. Let's first talk about what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you can't be discerning. Right? My, my kid comes in from the yard. I can observe, boy, you're dirty. It's not me judging them. That's an observation. If I see some homeless person out on the street and they're doing drugs, it's okay. I say, that's bad for you. Don't judge me. I'm not judging. It's an observation. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Right? Observing someone as a biological male is not somehow judging them. That's my doctor side saying, man, I, I can tell there's something going on there. But our society's taking that sideways. Judging is, man, you can't, you can't have any discernment. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's also not saying that you can't evaluate me. Right? That's what a lot of people want to make this judging mean. In society, in the church, there's this idea of moral relativism. Let's get rid of the law. These Ten Commandments, man, they are so outdated, we'll just toss them. That's not what Jesus does. He's increasing the law, not lowering the law. Super important for you and me. That you and I look and we can say, hey, does that follow the law of God? The answer often is no. And if you sin, if you murder someone, that's sin. If you steal, that's sin. That's transgression. That's wrong. If you've done that, you've done wrong. Sin is sin. Call it out. It crushes all of us. That's not what Jesus is getting at, is it? But it is getting to the actual issue. Because Jesus is saying that you're judged by the same standard. It's a big deal. You see, our problem is not the identification of sin, of wrong, of moral deficit. It's how we then see ourselves who pronounce that judgment. Oh, we do, we do this all the time. We put ourselves high, right? Even when I say to my kid and they come in, boy, you're dirty. That's an observation. But when I do it, often I pull in this idea, and I'm quite clean. Let's get you cleaned up because I don't want your dirt on my floor. Jesus is going after that. He's going after the things you pull in, right? We put ourselves high all the time. You see your neighbor and they're watering their lawn in a drought. Can you believe that? And you don't like even think about the 20-minute shower you're doing when no one's looking. That's what Jesus is going after. You drive around an electric vehicle, you think you're saving the planet. You ignore the huge mining pit in China that's being used to take the battery that you're using in your electric vehicle. And, and, and that's just observation. There's no judgment except you're taking judgment in it. You're taking virtue signaling. Look what I'm doing. I'm being good. <laughs> Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Morally, we struggle because when we observe, we pass judgment. We imply that we're not the problem. We mean, and even they hear when you speak, you know, I'm saying I'm better. Like, that's the goal. The goal is betterness. 
If I could just do everything right, you see, God would be happy with me. He would be pleased with me. I would be more better than you. And, and what I can do is, as, as, I, as I strive towards my, my perfection, you and I will push each other to get further ahead. Ahead where? I don't know. Heaven, I suppose. That's what Jesus is going after. Judge not that you not be judged. The emphasis is that you are under the same judgment is what you're calling out. That's the emphasis. Look, look, look. That's where it goes. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Whoa, wait, you know. I've got an objection. You know, I just used the law of God. The Bible, that's my standard. His sta- I'm not making up some other standard. I just want to call a spade a spade. Fabulous. Do that. And that's the measure used with you. Right? The difficulty is I don't really want that measure for me. You, you know, they steal. And God's going to judge. But I steal from God in little ways. His time. I judge their lazy work efforts, but, but I excuse my breaks. I mean, I need a little rest. So we have this natural tendency to think we're better than other people. It's deeply embedded in our own hearts. Then we step back and we look and evaluate from a position that says, you know, that's not me. I wouldn't do that. Can you believe what those people are doing? That's just who we are. We call out others, we give ourselves a pass. We excuse ourselves, we have reasons why we don't do the law of God. You know, from the very beginning, right? From Adam and Eve, Adam's like, you know what? This woman, she made me do it. And the woman's like, Eve's like, no, no, no. The serpent made me do it. What are they doing? Well, I've got an excuse for my poor behavior. They're the problem. So now we do all the time. Outside the church, this almost defines society. Are you on the left? Then you believe that intolerance, by that intolerance and lack of love on the right. Can you believe those people? If you're on the right, boy, those lefties, they can't even accept basic biology. And you start judging. That's not the church. That's just life and society. We're in our clans and we're looking and saying, you know, I'm, I've gravitated towards people I think are right and we're judging the people that are wrong. But come back inside the church. You know, we have this fine-grained sense of how other people are doing in their walk. Are they upright? Are they well put together? Do they show good character? I'm going to be with those people because I'm one of them. And you look around and you'll find yourself, you know, having questions. Well, why do they do that? Why aren't they doing better? Man, can you believe what those guys are doing? Why do... Because we're natural judgers. It's so ingrained. We do it without even thinking. Even, even towards being judgmental towards the judgmental. Like, you know, I get this because I'm a pastor. We talk about the gospel. We're heavy into grace. You know, forgiveness is amazing. And, and someone will come like, boy, you talk about grace too much, Swanson. And I'll go, yeah. You just don't get it. And I'll judge their inability to get the gospel. Right? That we, we, we do this naturally, you know. The idea one pastor put it this way. I know I'm bad. You think you're good, so I'm better than you. <laughs> Sermon on the Mount, right? 
I'm judging. I, I, I can get self-righteous about my own grasp of grace. And so this issue Jesus says to you and me is, you are judged. You are condemned for your sin under the law. Full stop. And you use the law to judge, not just to kill yourself, but when you want to judge others, you're just heaping condemnation on yourself. That's what Jesus, who had no sin, was saying. I'm looking at you guys. If they were gods, you say, they would clean up like me. You know, I'm not that bad. But Jesus knows, look what he says. Maybe. Maybe I can do it that way. Will it go? We're caught. Anyway, verse 3. It says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's this log in your own eye? You hypocrite. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see what he does? He goes, he goes right after it. He goes and says, can we, if we can get three up there, if you guys are on that back there, make sure it's down. Okay. We'll take your Bibles now that you really need your Bible. See when technology fails. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you where Jesus goes is you realize the, the speck you're looking at someone else. You've got a log in your eye. You've got a two by four. It's a plank. That's what he says, right? You who judge, you don't just have a speck like the other person. You've got a huge, massive board. In fact, it won't even really fit in your eye. It's so big. That's the word, right? The first words out of our mouth should be, you're like me. I I can't see very well. I need my self-righteousness, my self-focus, my own standing, my virtue signaling, my reliance on me, taken away even more than you do. Hypocrisy, that's what Jesus calls it, right? You hypocrite. We give ourselves a pass, and and our sin is just as bad. Worse, because we don't acknowledge it. It's it's like if there's a bunch of biblical examples, but one you can do is from John 8. Remember the John 8 scene where the woman's caught in adultery, and and they drag her down, and they say, you know, they want to make Jesus condemn her. And, And the whole issue is not that she's innocent. She's not innocent, Jesus goes and he's writing in the sand. And most commentators think what he starts to do is write the sins of these Pharisees who are watching him. Why? Because they're sinners too. And one by one, the oldest to the youngest, they take off. That's the issue, right? The issue is, is, is not that she's innocent or not. She's guilty. Every indication. The thing is, they're guilty too. And we're the people that want to pass judgment. Okay, God knows every secret thought you've ever had. That's the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's not just your doings. It's not just what I see of you. It's what God sees, and he looks at your heart, and have you ever had a a wrong thought? He's not unaware of who you are, and you and me, under the law, are guilty. See, See, there's no distinction between us and them. There's just a distinction between us and him. That's a big deal. So hearing Jesus' word that I am the blind and the broken one, as I try and tell people what's right and wrong, takes away the scorecard. You most definitely have incredible flaws, dear person. Me too. 
right? And we all need grace and we're proud and greedy and more bothered by other people's sins than our own all the time. And Jesus particularly hits people who proclaim their public righteousness, so-called Christians, right, who pass themselves off. That, that's what he's doing. He, he's hitting people who pass themselves off as righteous while they take down other people and say, well, that's really not me. A, it, it is us. But B, yeah, there are people caught here particularly. And that's why Jesus says, says this in verse 6. He says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is actually really important. If you're reading the text with me and you kind of float through, why is this here? Why did you just throw this in? This doesn't seem to go with what he's talking about. Oh, it does. <laughs> really important. Because the most holy thing we have, the pearls we treasure, is what? The forgiveness of sin in Christ. The grace of God. Forgiveness full and free. And you don't just give it to people who are caught up in their own self-righteousness and don't want it. What they're going to do, they're going to twist it around and they're not going to even take it. That's, that's the idea, right? People getting value out of their own performance. So you proclaim a grace that is full and free, a, a total forgiveness in Christ, and they turn it into getting brownie points for being tolerant. They trample grace, right? They turn and call people who call sin, sin. Boy, you guys, you, you guys are intolerant because people who live by the law, do you know what you need to give them? Not your pearl. You give them more law. You think you're accomplishing the law. This is what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount, right? You think you're accomplishing the law. Let me go a little deeper. Make the law higher. You think it's murder that's bad? Anger. You think it's just about your behavior? It's about your heart. You think you can do this? The, the hurdles in the sky as it crushes you. So the law, right, to get you where? Till you break. Then you're ready for the gospel. The gospel's for the broken and the guilty and the sinner. It's not for the self-righteous. You need to be broken of that. Grace is not a principle. Our society wants to make it a principle. We should give everyone grace. I don't mean Jesus. They mean lower the law. Don't cast your pearls before swine. That's what Jesus says. You know, it's... it's um, Grace always provokes those people who think they're good. Right? Because they wrongly proclaim that Jesus embraces the victim. You know, Jesus doesn't only embrace the victim. If you're a person that goes after the, the victim, Jesus doesn't, who does he embrace? The guilty. That's great news if you think you're guilty. If you don't think you're guilty, it's not good news. If I think Jesus embraces the victim and Jesus is like, oh man, he goes after the victim, the poor person that's been, Jesus lifts it down. Nobody, nobody has any trouble with that in any religion whatsoever. The offensive thing about Christianity is that Jesus embraces the, 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 the guilty. And even more offensive is Jesus says the guilty is who? You. Well, I don't want to be guilty. I know, I get it. Wouldn't it be so much nicer if we could just all be good people? We'd be climbing a ladder to heaven, and when you get to level 99, you get to go to heaven. That is precisely not Christianity. 
And, and, and that's why this is such a big deal. That's why this, this idea of, of where we are, uh, Tullian Javidian, I like his quote here, he says, it's not scandalous who Jesus leaves out, but who he lets in. I mean, that's what's offensive, right? Jesus welcomes the blamable, the immoral, the guilty, the ones that don't meet expectations. The amazing thing is, that's me! <laughs> that's us! Look at the wonder of the cross. So this is where we are. We're looking for good, and we're trying to use the law, and the only place that really leaves us is hypocrisy, self-righteousness, especially true of all of us in this room. Right? We do not escape. It is so wrong to say, well, those people in the world. No, the problem is you and me. Right? Thinking we can achieve goodness by our actions. It says, you're going to judge others because that's, that's your heart, that's your flesh, and you're going to heap condemnation on yourself. You won't see that the problem that other people have. Some Christian idea or non-Christian, some major societal sin, some egregious foolishness that's out there. And you're like, can you believe those fools? That's a speck. The plank is in your eye. What can we do? What can we do? Well, we can actually have rightness not found by us, by, like, grabbed by us, gained by us, worked on by us, earned by us. We can have rightness given. And that's right where Jesus goes. To receiving receiving good, finding good. Because, because we're the ones that see that we judge. We see our own failures. We can't seem to get away from our sin. We've been demolished from all notions that we can save ourselves by ourselves. We've been crushed by the crusher that's the law. And, and so we really are ready to find actual goodness. And this is the context by which Jesus says this. Look, it's amazing. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Wait right there. Right, another one of those verses that's often taken wildly out of context. Jesus isn't saying that God is waiting to give you anything you ask for. There's a context to this, right? There's a flow to this. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. He's been walking through this. There's not random verses. We'll just stick a few random sayings together and call it Proverbs. No. This is a sermon. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that no one who asks for God's mercy, will be refused. No one who admits desperation is denied deliverance. He's not promising health or financial security or a new car. He's promising rightness, righteousness. That, that's what he's promising to us who are condemned because we're judges. That this is saying, hey, oh, I, am so, I have this huge plank in my eye. Ask me, says Jesus. Ask. Seek. Knock, the door is going to be open, the door to heaven. This is what God loves to give, and he gives it to everyone, because that's what it says, right? For everyone who receives, who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened to you. Everyone, every single one. If you ask for mercy, you get it. If you seek it, you find it. If you knock, God opens the door to heaven. Why? Because Christianity is not good advice. 
It is not good people telling other good people how to be good. No, no, it's people who are crushed by the law, who see their brokenness and inability and sin, and who ask for mercy. We read about it, right, in Luke 18. The, 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 The parable, the guy says, oh, have mercy. He's asking. The other guy's telling, by the way. And he's asking for mercy. The publican, have mercy on me. God loves sinners. He loves sinful people with logs in their eyes. This misfit God, all other gods would say, man, I give good, good gifts to good people, but our God gives good gifts to nobodies, and we're the nobodies. He gives the gift of himself to just people who ask. You see it all over, but we'll read it a little bit in a little bit about communion. You know, Paul's very... Amazing when he, he, he lays it out. He says, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he did this. Yeah, when everyone's going to abandon him, Jesus is giving them his blood and body. Romans 5 says this, right? Did they put it there? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was good. Not when I made the right steps. Man, if I made the the four steps toward him and then God moved towards me. No. This is is amazing that he loved us and, and, and he says, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not, it's your father's good pleasure to make you better sheep so that you'll get into the kingdom. That's just not how it is. So, so even these verses, they're not about getting what you want from God. Like somehow if you pray hard enough, or you ask hard enough, if you're desperate enough, you'll get the result you want. It's horrible for the name it and claim it crowd. Boy, if you just are desperate enough and ask God enough for that thing you desire, God will give it to you because that's what he does. That's, that's observationally not true, right? I cannot tell you the thousands of people that prayed for my dad to get healed. He died... Uh, three, four years ago. For cancer to be overcome, for loved ones to be saved. This is a flat out promise from God. It does not stop. It is true, but it is true in a certain way in the context of what he's saying. He's saying, you judges, you're not going to get there by the law, but he says, if you just ask me. I'm yours. It's about the incredible heart of God to give unworthy people the righteousness of Christ, his goodness. You see how this lines up, right, with the judgment piece? We're trying to judge who's worthy, who's who's accomplishing, who has it together, who is enough. And God says, you've got this huge plank in your eye. Ask me, I'll get it out. I give grace. I already know you're a terrible sinner. That's my heart for you. Look, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Right, the word things isn't even in the Greek. Give good That doesn't mean he gives a healing or dinner or a Ferrari. He gives good. And and when you think about the persistent widow, that's where we go with this, right? We take this over to Luke 18 and the persistent widow. You know, like, like, like if you just keep pounding on that 
door, eventually God will give you what you want, just like that evil judge. No, 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 no. The point of Luke 18 was God's nothing like that judge. He says, your father's no, not even near this godless evil judge. And Jesus is saying, can you, can you understand the heart of the father for you? If you just ask, he will pour his mercy upon you. Salvation full and free, bought with the blood of Jesus, the best gift you could ever have. This is what it's about. The heart of the Father for you. He loves to give good to those who ask, who seek, who knock. Heaven's gates are open wide. And and yet so many people won't ask because they think they're good already. How did we get to Christianity for rule-keeping and law-abiding people? The qualification is that you aren't qualified. Isn't it? God loves to give. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love this Robert Caven quote. It says, it is precisely our sins and not our goodness that most commend us to the grace of God. Now that could sound offensive. You could say, hey, wait a minute. Our sins and not our goodness? Well, I'll just go sin more. That's not what he means. He means in your eyes. The things I think are good, that I think are commending me to God, are not. Because they're grounded in my enoughness and my idea of what goodness is. The things that you think are sins is actually qualified you because God gives grace to the unworthy and sin makes you unworthy. Therefore, we're all unworthy. You get the logic, right? Therefore, you're qualified. Ask. This is the amazing message of Christ because it is finished and he has done it all. And and, and it's absolutely amazing. Jesus comes for sinners and not the righteous because you don't earn righteousness. You're given it. The ones who give up on themselves, not the ones who are trying to take that next step of goodness One theologian says the gospel only seems like good news to the bedraggled, the beat up, and the burned out. It's not good advice for good people. It's good news for guilty people who are coping with their failure to be good because it's the most wonderful news ever that God's heart is to respond to that. If you're not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay, so... Here's today and what we have today. It starts with another ton of weight on the crusher. You are a judger. And if you deny it and you say, no, I don't judge, I don't, then you're, then you're saying you're not human. We all look around and compare a little. We all use the law, if you're a Christian, because the law is beautiful and it's God's standard and it's amazing. And then though we look at you, and we say, hey, how are you doing? That, that's how I go. And I always, with that, put other people's sins higher than my own. I have no doubt that is you today. We deny the righteousness God gives in favor of our own sense of moral rightness. The difference of righteousness developed by us versus righteousness delivered by God. When we refuse the righteousness God gives, we've got to find it somewhere. We find it by comparison. I'm so much more right than those guys. 
the church is drunk in this craziness as much as the world, we are more likely to use the better standard, the law. But we use it amiss, right, to put on masks like we're actually doing it. We're not for all our hypocrisy. And into this, Jesus puts the actual good news. Look, God loves to give. The gospel, right? It's the heart of Christianity. It's not our faithfulness. It's his faithfulness. It's this commanding of nothing. We're like Jonah. We're running away from God. And God doesn't let us go. He goes after lost sheep. He gives the prodigal son full and free forgiveness before he could even say a word of contrition. He didn't say, hey, you need to have repented well. And once I've brought you before the board and evaluated you, Maybe I'll welcome you. Come on in front of the tribunal. No, he gives a hug and a ring and sandals and a feast. The elder brother hated it. That's Luke 15. Go read it. Grace, it's amazing. It's free. And the Father loves to give forgiveness and rightness and restoration. The message now is more important than ever. Because people in our culture right now are so tired of this pseudo-Christianity. The performance treadmill just trading one for another, right? You know, are you living mindfully? Are you good enough? Are you doing enough for other people? Are, 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 you, are you doing enough for the environment? Are, is your carbon footprint small? Are you helping other people enough? And our only hope is not, well, well here, the church will come along and help you get her done. That is not the message. The message and our hope is what? It is finished who finished it jesus christ when did he do that on the cross his body and blood for you and me famous quote from martin luther may a merciful god preserve me from a church where everyone is good i want to be in a church of the faint-hearted the feeble and the ailing He's talking about wanting to people who feel and recognize their failings, who believe in the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins. You don't get better. You die. Right? The standard stays the same and it crushes you, it crushes me. Our hope is entirely outside of that, like Melchizedek, right? The priest who was outside the law and he was our representative. Jesus appearing He paid it all for us, and he says, just ask. And not in some weird thing, so please don't, please pull this away. Pull this amazing offer from God, this incredible statement to you today, away from this idea that, man, if I just ask strongly enough, if I just do my part enough, God will respond to me with what I want. And instead, go to what Jesus, it's way better. It says, the heart of God is to bless you with full forgiveness for all of your garbage. That's his heart. Just ask. Say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he does. And then we, each of us, in this room and in every church there is, a family of people who walk in forgiveness, Right? who walk in the reality that we're free because of what Jesus has done. We actually can be ourselves. You know what? Go ahead. Call me out on my crap. Pardon my language. It's not very pastoral. Yeah, it is really pastoral. Call me out on it. And make sure you follow it up with, you know you're forgiven. Because you are. These things don't define us. 
You cannot make them define you or you're falling back into the world. Jesus Christ is for you like he was for the tax collector, like he was for the leper, like he was for the blind, like he was for the whore, like he was for the sinner, like he was for the paralyzed, like he was for the unclean, like he is for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're amazing in how you offer us grace. We do not deserve it. We come again to this place, this room, where you've offered forgiveness full and free. And we stand and sit and bow amazed. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you have completed it and finished it. Thank you that you offer it to us. Lord, we desire to be a people that responds to this by your Holy Spirit in many ways. But Father, please help us never to leave this truth from your lips to us that we are crushed and broken and our hope is always in you. In your name we pray. Amen.